Well, the title of this study comes from a book I read years ago titled Overcoming Overload. And you notice there in your notes I said that much of the study is adapted from this book by Stephen Mary Farrar. And in this book, they, they hone in on three reasons that people feel overwhelmed and overloaded in life. One is, uh, one reason uh, deals with the pressures of life, that life has a lot of pressure to, to provide, to, to accomplish, to achieve, to keep up. All of these different pressures are, are on us, and those pressures can cause stress and anxiety. And because we feel so pressured by the expectations perhaps others have of us and our own expectations of ourselves and desires we want to fulfill, we feel overloaded and overwhelmed by life just trying to keep up. Also, the pain of life. We live in a world that has fallen, a, a world that's been cursed by sin. And because we live in a fallen world, we experience hardships. We experience sickness and pain and loss and grief and fractured relationships. And we could go on and on and on with all of the pain that we experience in this life. And because of that, life can feel overwhelming. It, it can feel like this giant burden on your shoulders and you, and you feel like you're walking around all the time weighed down by the cares of life. But also the pace of life contributes to us feeling overloaded and overwhelmed. Life is so fast. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. You know, technology and and busy schedules and, again, expectations, trying to keep up with everyone else. Uh, We're a very mobile society now. We we commute everywhere for everything, and, and that adds to the, just the, the, the pace of life and the pace of life can just really leave us feeling overwhelmed. And so how do you overcome overload? How do you live in such a way that you're living for the glory of God, you're, you're fulfilling your, His purpose for your life, you're living in a way that makes a difference, and, and, and you're living with joy. You're not living just stressed and anxious and weighed down all the time. How do you live that kind of life? What's the solution to an overwhelmed life? Well, you see there in your notes, seven things that are offered that we've been walking through one by one. You need a Savior, because if you have Jesus, no matter what else happens in your life, you have enough. Amen? Jesus is enough. You need a Sabbath. Jesus uh, has established that we have rhythms of rest in our lives. And God gave us the Sabbath day. And, and as Christians, we celebrate uh, the, the, uh, the Lord's Day, first day of the week, which, which is where we practice the Sabbath principles for the most parts. So we talked about having that, that time of rest and reflection and worship built into the fabric of your life. It's so necessary because if you never get rest, then you'll always feel harried and overwhelmed. You need a sanctuary. You need a place to get away from the craziness and meet with God. You need sustenance. That speaks of nourishment, which, which we uh, taught about the Word of God. You need the Word of God to feed you and help you to grow and to be all you need to be for the glory of God. You need supplication. That's prayer. You need a, you need a way to, to, to give your cares to God. I, you remember I shared the illustration of a pressure cooker with that release valve, and prayer is our release valve to cast our cares upon the Lord. And then number six, you need to simplify. Now next Wednesday, Lord willing, we're going to talk about God being our sovereign God, what it means to understand, what it means to your life to understand that God is in control. You don't want to miss that. But tonight we're going to talk about the idea that you and I need to simplify. And in the book, Overcoming Overload, by Steve Ferrar, he, he comes up with a term called affluenza. 
affluenza, which is a play on the word influenza, which is a virus that infects and makes us sick. And affluenza, he says, is, is a virus. And it's, it's, it's really contagious in our modern day culture. Now, I've given you an, a definition concerning what he means by affluenza. Affluenza is the desire for more driven by the false belief. Underline that word false right there. Driven by the false belief that possessions and achievement will bring happiness. That's what an affluenza is. So if you're driven by a desire uh, which is motivated by a false belief that if you achieve more, if you possess more, you'll be happy, then you have fallen prey to the virus of affluenza. You're chasing affluence because you think affluence is what will make you happy. And, and, and it just, affluence never delivers what it promises. It never does. And so, instead of chasing affluence, instead of living with the virus of affluenza, as he calls it, we need to learn to simplify our lives. Uh, and he has some really important things to say here. But I've given you some quotes from him and Richard Foster. Let me share you this kind of extended quote from Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, which is a book about the, the spiritual disciplines of our lives. And I wouldn't, if you go read it, it, there's some very helpful things there. I wouldn't necessarily endorse everything that he says, but he has some helpful things in there uh, that can help you to think about your personal walk with God. Here's what he says about the idea of simplicity in our culture today. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they are worn out. The mass media have convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. It is time we awaken to the fact... Now listen to this sentence. It is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Think about that. If society's sick and we're trying to be like society, then we're sick. Right? That's, that, that's showing there's something in our life that needs to be addressed. So he says, it is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Until we see how unbalanced our culture has become at this point, we will not be able to deal with the mammon spirit within ourselves, nor will we desire Christian simplicity. That's a very powerful quote from Richard Foster. So let me give you some things that will help you to understand if you have affluenza. Maybe full-blown affluenza or maybe just a touch of it, but these things can help you to understand if this, this may be a reality in your life that needs to be addressed. And these come straight from Steve Farrar. Number one, a reaching for more and more in spite of what we already have. Affluenza manifests itself in reaching for more and more in spite of what we already have. You know, it's so, it's so eye-opening to see this in your kid's life. You know, they see something they want and they just, you know, they got to have it. I just, please, I got to have it, you know, uh, my kids have been saying to me lately, I'll pay you back. So they're willing to go into debt, right? I'll pay you back. You, if you get out, well, I'll pay you back when I get some money. And they, they just have to have it. And, and, and they get the thing they want. And it's just a couple of days, if that. And the thing is sitting over there in a corner. And it's, it's teach a moment, hey, look, that thing, remember you had to have it? Now you're not even paying any attention to it. But you know, adults are the same way. We're the same way. Things that we just have to have. And we get that thing that we have to have, and it just doesn't deliver on, on, on the, 
the satisfaction we think that it will bring into our lives. And so what happens? We want something else, right? That doesn't satisfy, so let's get something else. So if you have affluenza, it will manifest itself in a reaching for more and more, even though we have a lot already, a reaching for more and more. You say, Wade, well, I, you know, I live a simple life, and, and uh, I'm entitled to some things in my life. I, you, know, I, you know, and I don't have uh, an abundance of stuff. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not rich. I think I could use some more stuff. Well, let me just tell you this, kind of set it in context. All of us in this room, all of us in this room, I don't care what your bank account says, all of us in this room, compared to 75% of the world, are filthy rich. I mean, filthy rich. Like, if 75% of the folks in, in other nations came to our, our setting and came to our houses and looked around at, you know, having more than one pair of shoes or shoes at all and all these clothes and stuff, a refrigerator and a freezer and a microwave, and it's just, they would be astounded by, by, the, by all of the things that we have. And so, here's the deal. Compared to most of the world, we're filthy rich, but we want more, don't we? It's not good enough. We, we want more. And that's affluenza. Secondly, affluenza manifests itself in an insatiable drive to be successful. And I would even mo- modify that a little bit. An insatiable drive to appear successful to other people. Did you hear that? An insatiable drive to appear successful to other people because that's ultimately why we want success. We want to achieve a certain something so others can look at us and say, wow, you know, look at them. Look how great they're doing. And if we have this insatiable drive to, to achieve, to, to want more, to do more, so that others will think more highly of us, that's affluenza. Third, affluenza manifests itself in a chronic lack of contentment. This all relates. A chronic lack of contentment. It just doesn't matter hey, what you have or what you don't. You, you're just never content. You want more, 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 more. You, you just can't be content with what you have. Four, affluenza manifests itself in a consistent choosing of career over family relationships. If you're examining your life and, and chasing career goals at the expense of quality time with family is a reality, then you have affluenza. Number five, an overscheduled, overloaded life that leaves no room for significant time with spouse and children. An overscheduled, overloaded life that leaves no room for significant time. Notice that significant time with spouse and children. So if, you're, if your time is so scheduled out, so busy, so full, that you don't have time just to sit and just be with each other, then you are experiencing affluenza. So, how do you cure affluenza? If you've got a touch of it, if you've got the full-blown virus, okay, how do you cure? How do you deal with life in such a way that you're not chasing after more? You're not believing that false idea that if you have more, if you achieve more, then you'll be happy. How do you you get away from that, that mindset that is so promoted in our culture today? Well, the cure for affluenza is simplicity. Simplifying your life. And to kind of nail this down in your mind a little bit as to what I mean with with simplicity, we have five things that we're going to look at. Five things you need to pursue simplicity. And I think when we look at these certain issues, it'll help you to understand what we mean when we talk about the simple life. Number one, to pursue simplicity, 
you need contentment. You need contentment. You'll, you'll never be happy with a simple life until you're content with the simple life. You'll never stop chasing after more until you're content with what you have. Turn to Philippians 4. I want to show you this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what Paul's saying here, he's writing to the church in Philippi. Paul's in prison, and he needed, he needed some of his needs to be taken care of. And the church in Philippi was collecting money uh, to help care for some of the needs that Paul had. And he's saying, I'm, I'm grateful that you're con- you have concern for me. But look what he says in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be, what? Content. And remember, he's writing this letter from prison. Got that? And he says next, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul's saying, hey, I've been on the mountaintop of experiencing abundance. I've been in the valley of having great need, experiencing great lack in my life. But he said there, I know how to deal with every circumstance. I know how to live with contentment in every circumstance that life brings my direction. You say, Wade, how in the world can you learn to be content no matter what life brings your way? Well, the, the secret's found in verse 13, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context, he means I can be content when I have a lot. I can be content when I have a little. Christ gives me the strength I need to live with an ongoing content. That's what that verse means. Now, growing up, that verse was used in athletics a lot. I used to have posters of like, you know, Major League Baseball stars or NBA stars, and it'd show a guy dunking a basketball, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I look at that and say, well, hey, through Christ, I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball. Well, God didn't give me the genes for that. Five, seven, it's not going to happen, right? So it doesn't mean that, hey, if I just trust Christ enough and pray enough, I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball. You got to look at the context. Philippians 4.13 means that if, if you have Christ, you have enough And if you seek his strength in your life, he will help you to be content no matter what happens in your life. That's what this verse means. And so you need contentment. You're never going to be satisfied with a simple life. You're always going to be chasing after more. You're always going to be be burdened with affluenza if you don't learn the secret of contentment. And and keeping that in mind, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to show you another passage very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 6. the Bible says in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now why does he, why does he couple godliness with contentment? He's, he's calling them to a godly life, but here's what you need to understand. Sometimes when you follow Christ, listen, sometimes you're going to say no to the things of this world. Right? Oh, I'm waiting, but that... We need to revisit that for a second. 
When you follow Christ, sometimes you're going to have to say no to the things of this world, right? All right. And if you're saying no to things that everyone else is saying yes to, you're going to be miserable if you're not content in Christ. Right? And so godliness coupled with contentment is a means of great gain. All right? Look what he says next. Where was I? He says, where am I? Oh, yeah, but godliness with contentment is, a, uh, is, is great gain, for we brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is what? A root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, notice this word craving, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. So he's saying there, listen, don't fall into the trap of thinking you've got to have more stuff to be happy. He's saying a lot of people fell into that trap and it's destroyed their lives. And so if you're going to, to truly be content or truly be happy with simplicity and not infected with affluenza, you need to learn contentment. And listen, only Christ, a daily, vibrant relationship with Christ can give you true, lasting contentment. Now, here's the second thing. Not only do you need contentment, you need a compass. A compass. You need, you need a way to prioritize your life. And it's really simple. Matthew 6.33. Turn there with me. Matthew 6.33. I love Matthew 6.33 because God used this verse to change the entire trajectory of my life when I was in college. And it all goes back to priorities. Starting in verse 25, he says, Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or, or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. All the things that we worry about in life or we, we want a better situation in life. I want to wear this or I want to live here. Or I want to do this or do that. He said, don't, don't, don't make those things your, your priorities in life. Look what he says in verse 33. But seek, what's the word there? First, protos in the Greek. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now look what it says next. And his righteousness and all these things. All these things refers to all the other things in our priority list. All these things will be added to you. So here's what he's saying. You need to seek first God's kingdom and God will take care of the rest. Okay? God will take care of the rest. Now here's how a lot of people try to deal with this. A lot of people say, okay... I'm really going to get serious about Jesus after I get everything right in my life. I'm, I'm going to, you know, get this area short up over here and, and, you know, climb the ladder to get to this level of my career and get to this level of my 401k and get my kids in this school. And once all this stuff is just right, then when I have some time to take a deep breath, then I'll get serious about Jesus. But it never happens, does it? Because you can't get your life in order without Jesus. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The, the order is entirely wrong. Instead of trying to get your life in place to get serious about Jesus, get serious about Jesus and he'll help you get your life in place. Huge difference. You've got to have your priorities correct. You've got to have a compass. And so as you deal with the, the temptation in life to, to 
pursue stuff, pursue position, pursue prestige. You've got to ask yourself the question, am I seeking first the kingdom of God? If I'm going down this road, if I'm chasing this thing, am I honoring Christ with my life? Am I really seeking first His kingdom? You need a compass. And Matthew 6.33 is a great compass to get you started because it deals with your priorities. And, you know, through the years, uh, you know, when it comes to doing, uh, you know, pastoral counseling and talking to different folks, most everyone's problems arise when their priorities shift. And when Jesus is no longer at the top of the priority list, that's when people get into trouble. Because you can't manage life like you need to without Jesus at the top. When Jesus is at the top, he manages life for you. And he does a much better job than you can do. Right? Do you trust him with your life? Seek him first and leave the details in his hands. You need a compass. Third, you need to cut it out. Here's what he means by that. Here's what I mean by that. You need to learn to say the word no. You you, you need to realize that you can't do it all. You're not God, right? You're not God. And you can't do it all. And, and you've got to prioritize your life and, and, and rightly prioritize your life and then work through those priorities. And if something's on your priority list or won't help you to achieve uh, something on your priority list, then you need to say no. You need to say no. You need to cut it out. So let me show you some examples. Turn over to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, this is after the Lord delivers Israel out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. And Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. And look what it says in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? All the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. Moses, you're never telling anybody no. All right, look what he says. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who, are, who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the peoples at all times. Every great matter they shall shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. They will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all those people also will go to their place in peace. So look in verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of, of his father-in-law and did all that he, that he had said. He chose uh, able men. 
It says, verse 26, they judged people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And so uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is, is really a wise man. He said, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. You can't do it all. You need some help. And so Moses uh, put some uh, other people in place, and they decided the small disputes. I mean, people were coming to Moses because, you know, their neighbor's pet was using the bathroom on their lawn. Do something, Moses. And, and, and all day long, Moses was dealing with that stuff. But then he had this system, a set of, 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 of a judicial system, if you will, where they dealt with the small stuff, and he dealt with the big stuff. And they were able to thrive in that setting. And so th- there are some things, to be simple, that you're going to have to cut out. Some things you have to say no to because you can't do it all. So this would be a fun exercise, perhaps. Maybe you and your spouse sit down and with a calendar or you know, a, a notebook and say, is there anything we're doing that we could cut out just to free up more time for the family, more time for things that are more important? Is there, is there anything that we, we just don't have to do that we are doing. You might be surprised at what you come up with that just simplify your life. And then you've got to learn to graciously, notice that word graciously, you've got to learn to graciously just say no. Say, I, I, sorry, I can't do that. I'm, I, I've got something else going on on that day. You know, check with me next time. Uh, I'm terrible, to be honest with you, I'm terrible at saying no. I don't like saying no. Um, and, and, but I've had to learn. I've had to learn that there, you know, I just can't do everything. And so, this is so important for our lives. Turn over to Ephesians. I want to show you an, another verse that speaks to this principle. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Watch this. Making the best use of your time. One translation says, redeeming the time. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So life is short. Everybody's got the same amount of time in a day, time in a week, time in a year. God's given you a boundary for your life. There's a time he ordained that you were to be born. And there's a time that he's ordained for you to step into eternity. Right? We all have that allotted amount of time. We don't know how long it is, but we know we have a limited amount of time upon this earth. Therefore, he says, redeem the time. Buy it up. Make the best use of your time. And if you're going to make the best use of your time, sometimes you've got to say no to, to enhance your family life, to enhance your personal walk with God, to enhance your opportunity to serve God more, you've got to say no to some things. That may be good things, but they're keeping you from the best things. That makes sense? And so make the best use of your time. So you need to cut it out. Is there anything in your life that, even a good thing, but just not a necessary thing, and, and you just have to cut it out? And you say, well, you know, I'm involved in this. If I don't show up, what are people going to think? They'll keep right on going without you. And if you cut it out, guess what? The sun will come up tomorrow just like it did today. The world will just keep right on spinning around. And whatever you were part of, they'll just keep right on without you. They really will. We, we, love, we like to think that we're indispensable, but we're really not. Right? So let's, tr- let's stop trying to be everybody, every, everything to everybody, and let's prioritize our lives and be who God's called us to be. Amen? And sometimes that means you've got to say no. You've got to cut it out. All right? Next, you need to conserve. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. 
Proverbs 13, verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So you're not signed up for financial peace, okay? You can take it next time we offer it, all right? But I'm just going to sum it up for you, okay? Avoid quick, get, get rich quick schemes, all right? Avoid those and do it the old-fashioned way, all right? Be wise with your money, spend less than you bring in, and save little by little. And that money saved little by little will last you longer than a flash-in-the-pan amount of money gained in uh, of the blink of an eye, you know, gained hastily. Um, because we value that money more. So learn to conserve, learn to save, learn to make things go farther than they used to go. I was listening to a podcast the other day. As a matter of fact, I think it was Dave Ramsey's podcast. He was talking about how our culture now, instead of fixing things, we just go buy something new. Do you remember, do you remember the TV repair shops? Who remembers those? In my hometown uh, growing up, Perry, Florida, there was a man, he was grumpy, but he was a, he was a shoe cobbler. And, and he just really loved shoes. And if you brought in shoes and they were beat up, he just was really, he really made him mad. Um, he was just grumpy. But, but I remember my mom, she would take, you know, a, a heel come off of shoes and she'd take shoes in and he'd fix her shoes up. We don't even think about it anymore, right? We just, we discard them and we go buy new shoes, right? We, we say, hey, our TV doesn't work. Hey, we can go get another one at, you know, Walmart for 300 bucks. Let's go get a new TV and, and uh, it's flat screen and high def and it'll be better anyway. So, you know, and, 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 you know, we live in a society, we don't fix any, we don't conserve anything anymore. We just go buy something else, right? That's this kind of how uh, society has gone. And, and we need to learn just to conserve, try to make things last longer, all right? Try to get more out of them. You know, clothes, you know, vehicles. Uh, I've learned my own life, when I really start, won't start, you know, start wanting a new vehicle, you know, I really, I'm, yeah, I get, I get the kind of the urge, and I'd love to have, an, you know, that or that. Uh, I'll, I'll go and I'll clean up my truck real good. I'll clean it and I'll vacuum it out, and you know, you know, get it nice and spiffy, and it makes me just feel better. And I'm like, I'm happy with my truck again. All right, I can drive for five more years. Right, uh, it paid for. I love it. So. So we need to learn just to conserve what we have and, and be wise with it. Instead of thinking we have to have something new, just, just, just keep what you have and just be content with that. You'd be surprised at how that will help you to live a simple life and not get caught up in affluenza, just thinking you have to have more. I came to a realization, this was about probably about 15 years ago, and, and it just hit me one day. I was, I was driving down the interstate. I was in Memphis. I think I'm probably going to school, and... And uh, this thought just hit me like a lightning bolt. You want to hear it? It's profound. Are you ready? I thought, no one else in this city cares what I drive. They could care less what I drive. Because I had an old truck and I had a dent in the side. And I was a pastor. I was embarrassed because I'd have to get in funeral possessions. And, and my truck had this big dent on it. And, uh, and you know, I was embarrassed. And, and, uh, but, you know, it finally came to me, you know, no, no one really cares what I drive. Who cares? Who cares? They're, they're passing me, you know, and they don't care what I drive. I don't care what anybody else drives. And it was just like a, like a light bulb came. So why should I try to impress people that don't really care? Right? Why should I try to impress them with what I drive or what I wear or any of that kind of stuff? We've got to be careful about being caught up in affluenza. So learn to conserve. Learn to be happy with what you have. Listen to this. Grateful for what you have. Amen? 
thankful for what you do have, the abundance of things you do have, and, uh, and learn to conserve. And then next, you need to cultivate. You need to cultivate. And by that, he means cultivate a giving heart. Because one of the greatest antidotes to materialism is to give, to be a giver. When you're, when you're giving and you're helping people and you're part of the kingdom of God expanding and you're, and you're doing things that matter with your money and with your time and with your resources, you, you just get to a place where you just don't care as much about the things of this world. Giving is an antidote to materialism. Look what he says over in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hey, by the way, just quick aside here. How do you know if you're sowing sparingly or bountifully? How do you know? The answer I've come up with is you have to have some sort of standard, right? And the only standard of giving I see in the Bible is the tithe. It's the only one I see consistently in the Bible. And people say, well, wait, that's, you know, that's in the law. You know? Well, wait a minute, it's pre-law. Abraham was tithing. Jacob was tithing before the law was given through Moses. And we see it also reiterated in the New Testament as well. And it's just a standard in the Bible. And so how do I know if I'm giving bountifully or sparingly? Well, am I, am I giving a tithe and above or am I giving under a tithe? And that, that becomes a measuring line in my life to know if I'm a bountiful giver or a or a, or a cheapskate, right? They have to have some sort of standard. And again, the tithe is the only standard that I see. And by the way, I love to preach about money and tithing when, when, when uh, the giving's been good at the church. So I'm not just trying to browbeat you to get more money, right? We had one of the biggest Sundays we've ever had this past Sunday, this Easter Sunday. We had 40-something thousand dollars given for a week worth of giving. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, it was awesome. And so we're, listen, we're ahead of, but we're like, $30,000, ahead of budget for the year, all right? So I'm not trying to get you to catch up with a budget. I'm just saying, listen, the tithe is a standard that God gives us, and we know if we're giving sparingly or bountifully based upon that standard. And then look what it says next. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So cultivate a giving heart where you give cheerfully for the glory of God, bountifully for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, and cultivate a giving heart which will be an antidote to materialism. And I believe giving will help you to pursue simplicity. I, I can tell you this, and I mean this with every ounce of my being. I've never missed... You ever had buyer's remorse? You buy something and immediately you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have bought that. You ever done that? Is it just me? Am I the only one? Let me tell you this. I've never missed a dollar I've given away to the kingdom of God. Never. Like when I give, you know, Claire and I give a check to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, I never think, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or I give just to the, the ongoing ministry of Longview Point a tithe check. I think, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. wish I had that money back. I, never, I don't ever miss it because I know it was money invested, well invested, for the glory of God. And it becomes an antidote to materialism. All right? So how do you pursue simplicity? You need contentment, accomplish, you need to cut it out, you need to conserve, you need to cultivate. Here's what Steve Farrar says. Love this quote. We must streamline our schedules and get rid of what really doesn't matter. 
We must cut and cut until we have made time for solitude and for those who are most important to us. Good stuff. So let me ask you a question. We're going to talk about simplicity some more in a moment. Are you living a simple life or are you living a hectic life? Are you living a simple life or are you infected with affluenza? Where you've bought into the false belief that achieving a certain thing or acquiring a certain thing will really make you happy. False belief. You know why I know that's a false belief? Because if things make us happy, God would say, hey, get more stuff. But God never says that, does he? He just warns you about the dangers of getting more stuff. He never tells us to pursue stuff. He tells us to pursue him. All right? So let me just give you, I just put this in here for your own um, edification. I've given you some guidelines for simplicity from Richard Foster and Celebration of Discipline. Again, if you want to read that book, there's some spiritually profitable stuff there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, endorse everything in the book, all right? But, but there are some helpful things in there uh, that come from this book. And he has a good chapter on simplicity where he gives 10 kind of hints, 10 guidelines for simplicity. Let me just walk, the, walk through these with you very quickly. Number one, he says, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. The, the best I've ever dressed, you hear this? The best I've ever dressed is when my mom bought my clothes because it was her money. And man, brand name, I had certain shirts I wanted to wear, and stud- I, I only got my jeans from a certain place, my cat. And so I was very particular about my clothes when it was mom's money, right? And I, by the way, I always took mom with me shopping, not dad, all right? Always took mom with me. But now that it's my money, I just, I, I, I care far less than I used to, right? And, and the deal is, okay, does it fit? <laughs> you know, does it fit? Uh, is it useful rather than... Uh, does it achieve some certain level of status uh, in, 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 in other people's eyes? So buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. That's important. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. And by the way, this can be good stuff, right? Good things can, be, can become addictive, all right? You know, if you're... If, if, you know, if you're binge-watching episodes on Netflix until 4 in the morning, okay, maybe time to say, let's take a break from the TV for a little while, okay? All right, let's, say, let's take a break. Uh, there are good things that can become addictive things. So if there's anything in your life that's addictive, a, a, a habit, recreation, something you do, something you watch, something, whatever, you need to reject that thing and, and, and put some distance between you and that thing, which, by the way, is called fasting. When you stop doing something that that you really want to do, that's called fasting. You're, you're giving it up to focus more upon God. And you'll miss it, right? When there's something you really love doing and you stop doing it, you'll miss it. Something you really like eating, but you stop eating it, you'll miss it. And every time you miss it, it's a reminder of how much you need God. It's a reminder of how much, that, how much time that thing took up in your life. That's what fasting is. Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. So just try it. Is there something in your life that you could just give to somebody, just be a blessing to them? Just something 
fairly something large, piece of lawn equipment, or you know, uh, you know, a, a sewing machine, or something in, in, that you could give to somebody that you know would use it and be blessed by it. Give it away. Just try it. See what happens. Number four, refuse to be propagandized. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Propagandized. I like that better. Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. You know, I was fine with my iPhone 5S. Great phone, not a bit of problem with it, did everything I needed to do until the iPhone 6 came out. And all of a sudden, I was discontent with my iPhone 5S. Like, look at this piece of junk now, you know? And, you know, and I looked at, you know, Joey. Joey had his fancy iPhone 6, and I was, and I was looking at it, and I was looking at his bigger than mine. And, and I, also I started wanting this iPhone, you know, big phone. And I was like, why do I need, you know, why do I need, I don't need, this is fine. The iPhone 5S is, is, is fine. And, and we, and, but, but see, we let, we let companies set the agenda for us. Like, hey, you have to have this right now, right? You have to have this right now. And so, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. By the way, I'm not saying Joey is, I'm just saying he needed a new phone. He was, anyway, all right. Okay. It was good for Joey. All right. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Um, a walk in the park. All right. A library. The things you don't have to own, but you can enjoy. You can, you can uh, take part in. You can uh, glean from and be blessed by, but you don't have to own it. All right, just just enjoy things that, that you don't that you don't have that you don't know. Just learn to enjoy those things. Number six, develop a deeper appreciation for the creation. Get outside, spend some time looking around at, at God's beautiful creation, and uh, just be amazed by what He has made. And and when you, when you look at the beauty of this world, it makes the things that we want to buy and acquire just look kind of silly. Number seven. Look with a healthy skepticism at all buy now, pay later schemes. All right? You know, zero interest for, you know, 18 years or whatever, okay? Um, just, be, just, be, just be careful because, it, you know, it, it's debt and there's risk involved. And take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University if you want more details on that. But be, be skeptical of that. If, if you're always getting things, buying now but paying later, be skeptical, all right? Because it's probably driven by an insatiable desire to have right then. Number eight, obey Jesus' instructions about plain, honest speech. Just be who you are. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't try to impress people. Just, just be yourself. Just love folks and, and uh, be honest and, and transparent. And that will help you to be simple. Number nine, this is imp- important. Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. There's a there's a big uh, movement now. You've seen it with you know fair trade coffees that 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 companies buy coffees from areas that don't take advantage of the population to harvest the coffee or to process the coffee. You see, that's a big deal. Fair trade coffees and and uh, and there's a big movement now to to um, to kind of shine the spotlight on companies that that uh, unfairly use uh, or wrongly use child labor, um, uh, you know, to make their products. And, and there's all sorts of um, um, things out there about this. Be careful about buying things or, or, or acquiring something that breeds the oppression of others. Number 10, shun anything, this is important, that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. 
Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. So if, so if there's something in your life that, that lessens your affection for Christ, let me say it like this. If there's something in your life that causes you to love Jesus less, stop it. Whatever it is. Okay? Just stop it. Just don't do it anymore. Just stop. Whatever. Take a break. Whatever. Stop it. And, and focus on things that that fan into flame your affection for Christ. So whatever those things are in your life that help you to love Jesus more, then do more of that. But stop the things that cause you to love Jesus less or cause you to think about Jesus less or, or put him lower on the priority list. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. And so if you feel overwhelmed and overloaded by life, sometimes it's good just to simplify and say, do I feel overloaded because I have to have more, I have to achieve more? And can I just say, let me just stop doing that. Let me just, let me just live for Jesus, live for his glory, do what he's called me to do, make a difference in this world, love my family well, spend time with them, and, and be content with that, and see what God does in and through my life. And I think if we'll all take that stance and simplify things, we will feel less rushed and less stressed and less apprehension about what others think about us.